0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Fort Worth Mayor Betsy Price joins the Post to discuss her city's COVID-19
1: response and the impact of the recent winter storms. Let's listen.
0: Good afternoon. I'm Jackie Alimany, author of the Washington Post early morning newsletter, Power Up. Welcome back to the Washington Post Live Leadership in Crisis series. We're so excited to have a fantastic guest today zooming in from Fort Worth, Texas, Mayor Betsy Price. Mayor Price, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us.
1: Jackie, good afternoon. It's great to be with you. It's a beautiful day here. I hope y'all have got that too. We unfortunately don't, but it has the, the, the district is finally dethawing. Wow. Well, that's what we all need, get out of this and into spring and summer and a little positivity here. Uh, well, you know, speaking of positivity, <laughs>
0: let's start uh, with the state of the pandemic, Madam Mayor. You've been critical of of Texas Governor Greg Abbott's recent moves to lift the mask requirements in the state. But you've continued to encourage mask wearing. How have these restrictions being lifted affected how you're managing the health of your city?
1: You know, really, we felt like this was lifted a little too early. We, yesterday was St. Patrick's Day, and this is spring break week. And in Fort Worth, everybody gets out. They go to the zoo. They go to the parks. The weather's been great. All across Texas, they'll go to the beach and travel. I would love to have seen this wait until May. But that said, we've pivoted, and we said to the governor, sent a letter saying, if you're going to lift it, open it 100%, remove masks, we're going to still recommend, strongly recommend that people do it, and we're going to ask them to open the tiers so more people can get vaccinated. Our visitors and convention bureaus worked with us on a campaign called Stay Strong, Together We Win, to encourage people to keep up good social distancing, wear their masks, wash their hands, and be responsible about this so that we can. Our numbers are going the right way, and we want them to continue.
0: Actually, that's what I was going to ask you next. How is the vaccine rollout going right
1: now in the state? Well, you know, the vaccine rollout's going very well, but as it stands, only about 8% of our population is fully vaccinated with two vaccines. Uh, you know, probably another two or three percent have one vaccination. The problem has been the supply of the vaccination. In Texas, we're doing 1A and 1B, and we've just opened a 1C, and 1A and 1B were Healthcare workers, first responders, and over 65, and 1C is teachers and over 50. And we believe we've had some pushback, like everybody nationwide, on the vaccine, but we're beginning to get there. We're rolling it out in big centers and small community centers. If we can get more vaccine, we'll get more of them done. We're prepared to do 100,000 a day.
0: So is that a, a Governor Abbott issue, or is that an issue with the Biden administration in terms of getting
1: the vaccines that you need? You know, as far as I can ascertain, the county is the one who's really working on this and we're partnered with them, but it seems to be coming from the federal level. The governor tells us he's sending an allocation uh, based on what they're receiving at the state. We just need to ramp this up. Hopefully now that Johnson Johnson's becoming more prevalent, we'll get more shots uh, there and get more shots in people's arms. We've been very proactive about using our first responders setting up nursing home clinics and all kinds of things to try to get this done. You just have to keep get people educated. And, you know, we always say if you get a chance to get a shot, just get the shot. Don't worry about which one it is or where you're going to get it. You said
0: that numbers haven't spiked again in the state, but what we are seeing, according to uh, health data that's come in in the last two weeks, is a stall in the decrease of cases in 15 states across the board, and that includes Texas. Are you concerned that the lax measures and and the way Governor Abbott has sort of taken the pressure off of combating the pandemic is going to cause a spike and, and cause death in your city?
1: You know, I'm concerned always with this pandemic. I think we just all have to take personal responsibility and work on this. The governor clearly, when he opened, had some pressure and some data that we hadn't, didn't see. And we've encouraged people to be responsible. We've heard all our restaurants to continue to require masks to not put their staff at risk, but to continue to strongly recommend them. And we've published a list along with our Visitors Bureau of who's requiring it, what businesses are, and who's not. Yes, our numbers have stopped falling and have flattened a little bit, but I think that's expected. When we opened several months ago, lifted the opening a little bit and then had to lower it again, there was a small spike up. This one, at least there hadn't been a spike, it's just been a bit of a plateau. And just generally speaking across
0: the board, it seems like there has been a lot of anger uh, and and somewhat bipartisan anger directed at Governor Abbott first for most recently for lifting the mask mandate too early. Um, He's also though, overseen a number of crises in the state during his six years, Hurricane Harvey in 2017. Um, which resulted in the deaths of 68 people, a series of terribly tragic mass shootings, um, and then also, you know, the death of over 30 people due to the storms last month and the power
1: grid failure that ensued. Do you still have confidence in his leadership? I do still have confidence in his leadership. Texas is a huge state, a very diverse state. Uh, You know, are they perfect decisions? No, but I'm not in his seat, so I can't make those decisions. I just think he's been tested probably more than nearly anybody else. The problem here is I think you get politics in the way. And you've heard me say before, in fact, you previewed it on your uh, Twitter, I think. I don't believe this is about politics. This is the pandemic, the crisis we've had, our public health and crisis mode. They're not politics, and you shouldn't be playing politics with the community's response to it. And I don't know that he necessarily is, but I think that's the criticism is coming from the left and from the right. So you don't think his decision to lift the mask mandate was a political decision? I don't know. I wasn't there when he made that decision. I thought it all I'll say is that I thought his decision to lift the mask was a bit premature. I mean again, you're looking at spring break and the start of the time that people really want to be out, but we don't aren't privy to all the information that he had. We put, provided input along with all the other major cities, but we're not privy to his medical recommendations. And the governor is up for
0: reelection in 2022. He's indicated he's going to run again. Uh, do you plan on supporting him?
1: Uh, that remains to be seen yet. My job right now is really to continue to support the community of Fort Worth, more than likely. But we'll just see who's in this race. It's a wide open race at this point, And there's a lot of balls in the air, a lot of people's name being tossed around.
0: Yeah, Matthew McConaughey went on CBS this morning yesterday and teased that he was potentially running. Is he someone you would consider supporting?
1: I don't know. I'd have to see what his politics are going to be and what his policies are going to be and whether he's really in this for public service reasons to serve the citizens of Texas.
0: Have you considered throwing your hat in the ring?
1: No, (laughs) no, I'm happy where I am. In fact, I'm retiring and then I will take a little time off and then come back and do something else. I've been asked to consider doing that, doing it. But at this point, I got no desire to do that. I love Fort Worth and that's my passion. That's where my family is. That's where I'll continue to invest my service time.
0: Well, and I think it's really interesting. You know, you are a mayor right now of really the last major Red City in Texas, Fort Worth is Republican, but it's been trending blue in recent years. Do you think Texas is going to turn blue? Are we on that path?
1: Oh, I don't think so. I think there's a little more trending. I think think if you really get down and talk to citizens in Texas and particularly in Fort Worth, People just aren't all that interested in whether it's to the right or to the left, unless they're the extremists. They want good government, and good government happens in the middle, where decisions are reached with an input from every side. Everybody at the table should have a chance to have their say-so, and then the leaders make their decisions from there. I think Texas is always going to be a fiscally conservative state, a business-oriented state, where there's less regulation, but we certainly are a compassionate state, too, and we you know, have social issues that we're dealing with and we will deal with.
0: And why do you think Fort Worth in in recent years, uh, in your opinion, your constituents have veered towards the left more so than um, historically?
1: You know, it's hard to say that they've really veered that much to the left. They've vacillated back and forth at the top of the ticket on the presidential election, whether they're blue or red. But if you look strongly, the rest of their state representatives and their Washington delegations are pretty much on the red side. And then you get into school board and municipal elections, and they tend to be pretty much middle of the road fiscal conservatives who lean a little right or lean a little left. And I think that's really just kind of where Fort Worth has been for a long time. It's just become much more of a national issue than it used to be. And when we're talking about good government, I think it's impossible not to think
0: of what happened in the state last month, which is the these winter storms sort of took people by surprise and it led to death and uh, the outage of the the um, the power grid failure. Along with you know millions of Texans who were left without clean water and heat for uh, you know an extended period of time, how have those efforts been in trying to get people clean water and, and fixing the damage that has the the main water damage that's been done to the city?
1: Yeah, you're looking at a historic storm. I mean, this is a storm of epic proportions, and we say that it sounds like it's blown out of proportion, but it's really not. This is a storm. <clears throat> excuse me that hit our entire state. We're rarely in the one-digit temperatures here. And in Fort Worth alone, in an average year, we have about 670 broken water mains. In an eight-day period, we had better than 700 broken water mains to repair. And then people had their own damage, including my house, my own house, flooded, and we had to deal with it. And it has been a Herculean effort. But Fort Worth is a city that, private partners, public partners all come together, the churches, all of the faith-based community. I've been incredibly pleased with the outreach that people have had for their neighbors. They've been watching after each other. We've had countless people come in with pallets and truckloads of water to help us. Red Cross, United Way, so many jumped in and helped with it. It's been heartwarming to see the community response to this, and there's still some ongoing issues, particularly in some of our apartment complex, and we're working closely with them, the Apartment Owners Association. We set up showers to try to get people who still don't have hot water uh, showers, but nobody's been without water once we got the routine established and we've been able to get that moving. So it's it's been a good response. It's been a very, very difficult and trying response, but it was good here at the local level. So so everyone in Fort Worth has clean water again? Excuse me, I had laryngitis about four days ago and I'm just getting over it. Oh, no. Yeah, everybody in Fort Worth has clean water unless you're in a private home and it's your own broken pipes or you're in an apartment complex. And I think we're down to just two or three apartment complexes that they're working closely with for water. But we've furnished water to everybody that needed it. And for a storm
0: that was really of such historic proportions, uh, you know, you got to wonder why the state wasn't more prepared. Who do you pin the blame on for that?
1: I don't know. I'm not a great big one to point the finger. We will get answers and I said this during the during the crisis. We have to deal with the issues and then look at them. And I think the state is in the middle of investigating to see where this all fell apart. But again, you got to remember this was an incredibly unusual situation in Texas to happen. We don't bury water mains that far, and we have been on our own grid. I think there's a lot of opportunity for improvement and a lot of chance for people to look at options out there. And the legislature's going to do that, and we're going to you know, keep the pressure on them to make certain that we get what we need. Do you think the privatization of the energy grid played a a factor in this power failure? I think it's really hard to judge whether it was the privatization or whether it was just strictly the storm that we've never seen before. The unprecedented growth that we've had in Texas also lended lent itself to pushing the escalating that a little bit. It's hard to tell. Do you think Republican leaders in the state take climate risk
0: and? the threat of climate change seriously enough in order to prevent things like this happening going forward?
1: You know, I'm not a statewide leader. I mean, I know we work closely here at Fort Worth on our better building challenge on climate issues. I think everybody has to be reasonable about what they do. I think there's that fine balancing line for residents, for businesses as to what we're doing here on climate.
0: And I just want to, uh, you know, wrap up on this topic, Um, but you've said you want to hold leaders accountable. Have you heard the answers yet that you need in order to um, uh, hold people to account?
1: You know, I think that we're at the point where we're getting close to having the answers that we really, what we're doing is getting the right questions asked. When it all started, the hearings in Austin started, A couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure even knew what questions to be asking. It was a lot of finger pointing. Instead of asking for solutions, they were looking for blame. And for us, for the leaders at the local level like myself, what you need is solutions and not blame. What are the biggest unanswered questions here? I think the biggest unanswered questions are how do we keep it from happening again, and what's the investment have to be? What's the trade off on the investment? That who pays for it? Clearly, taxpayers are going to pay for all of it, whether it comes out of the state rainy day fund, which is the state saving, or whether it's a rate increase to taxpayers. Those are all questions that people want to know. And I want to get to the topic of the stimulus package,
0: um, a historic piece of legislation that was just signed into law by President Biden. Um, You had called on Texas Senators Ted Cruz and John Cornyn to vote for the package, citing the need for some of these provisions that were provided for your constituents. Uh, You've been critical of the leadership in your state over the package. What do you make of the Republican
1: opposition um, to funding for state and local governments? Well, first and foremost, I mean, it's a huge package, and I've made no bones about the fact that I have clear hesitation about the size of this package. I've got six small grandchildren, three kids and their spouses, and this debt's going to fall to them. I've got no problem with this package when it goes into COVID relief, to vaccinations, to testing, to getting our kids back into school, to broadband, uh, to helping families get on their feet. But I've said all along, these dollars have to go where there's a return on the dollars, where they're getting in small businesses and helping them get back on their feet. The real backbone is going to be the recovery of our businesses, because that's more people need to go back to work and the recovery of our convention and visitors bureau so we can get more of our serving industry back. It's a bit of a balancing act because you don't want a lot of fluff in that package, but you do need it to get people moving, get answer this humanitarian crisis and keep them moving forward. So the rhetoric that we heard from some Republicans
0: that the provisions for state and local governments has been a giveaway to mismanaged
1: blue states and cities. Is that an assessment that you agree with? I think there's probably some of that on both sides. I think the Republicans were valid in asking those questions, and I expect the Democrats had their reasons for putting them in there. I'll go right back to what helps our residents and what gets money in their hands to help with rent, to help with utilities if needed, to get them back on their feet with their jobs, to get small businesses where they can rent. Uh, rehire who they need to hire and get fully open. I think this is about not just about pork, but this is rather about getting our economy moving, getting people back to work and, and getting with our the kids midterms, back in school, getting education moving. With the midterm
0: 600 days away, uh, you know, you see Republicans already plotting to try to use various provisions in the stimulus bill to campaign on. Um, they've sort of made the calculus that eventually some of these provisions are gonna become unpopular with constituents. Have you heard any complaints or uh, any such gripes about particular provisions in the stimulus bill that you think are are not sitting well with your constituents?
1: No, most of my constituents are really working to get their head above water, to get their kids educated, to keep day-to-day basis, to see that they're gonna get their rent paid, that we're gonna have the money to help our businesses. Really, at this point, I think they're just past this presidential election, and really they're looking to recover. Remember, we've had not only the pandemic for a year now, but then we've had a major ice storm to deal with, too, and snowstorm. And,
0: and so I'm wondering, what do you think will be a winning message in, in 2022? Um, it seems like Republicans are now, you know, on top of the stimulus, also pivoting towards
1: immigration, which obviously Texas is ground zero for immigration policy. I think one of the winging strategies, particularly in Texas, particularly here, is going to be an infrastructure bill. And I expect you'll see the Republicans getting on with that. It's been a long time since the feds put major money into our highways, our infrastructure. This pandemic has brought forward the fact that far too many people don't have broadband access and don't have what they need to get their job done from home or get their kids educated. I think more money that goes into that and into infrastructure of any type, plus it creates jobs, is going to be a winning message for many people. (coughs) Excuse me.
0: That That's really interesting because there already seems to be some pushback building up as that legislation is being crafted. Um, the price tag is expected to be a little bit bigger than the stimulus package that just passed. But you think it would be a good political move for Republicans to get on board here and maybe, you know, actually provide some support so that Democrats don't have to do this through budget reconciliation?
1: You know, I'm not the expert on how they do it in Washington, but I, we would love to see dollars coming in for infrastructure work here.
0: Is there any price tag that you feel like is too big,
1: like $2 trillion or $3 trillion? I don't know. I think it's hard to say. I think you're going to have to look at the whole picture. I mean, the numbers are staggering when you start looking at them. The debt that we're carrying is staggering, and I think at some point there becomes a trade-off here for people If you're a little bit fiscally conservative, if you're worried about where America's going, you've got to begin to weigh it out and see what really stimulates the economy and puts people to work and that we can live with as a nation. And and back to immigration
0: really quick. Republicans on Capitol Hill have been calling it a crisis this week, much to the pushback of the Biden administration, who said that the numbers that we're seeing at the border right now really pale in comparison to what we saw under the former President Trump. Do you think this is a crisis?
1: I think immigration issues, when you've got large groups of people gathered at your barter, children and families both, and not a really good solution. We haven't had a really good solution to immigration in years and years. And at some point, we're going to have to tackle what's our fundamental immigration policy, or we will continue to face mounting issues on the border.
0: Are there any policies that you see on the ground would be really
1: effective right off the bat? Oh, I, you know, I don't know. I don't I don't think that I think that's a hard one to issue. I've not been working on the immigration issue that much here. We just we have had we have a big immigrant community. We welcome them, but we welcome to come in the right way and follow our notion, our laws on immigration. Do you think the Biden administration has been too soft
0: in their messaging to migrants who are trying to cross the border right now?
1: I think there's probably some trade-off there. I think we have to, again, I go back to our immigration policy. I don't think we've got an immigration policy that everybody understands and that everybody can, nobody's ever going to agree on everything, but that the majority of Americans can support, and we've got to get to that position. Um, And we only have a few minutes
0: left, but I want to get to some of uh, our questions from viewers who wrote in. Um, We have a question from Mary Beth from Texas who wants to know, How you can steer the GOP back to being a productive party that puts forward conservative solutions to America's biggest problems rather than focusing on
1: vague cultural issues? That's a good question from Mary Beth. And I think the the real solution is there that voters have to go back and begin to really know who their candidates are. And they have to demand of those who are already in office that they represent their values and that they are governing, making good decisions on government, that they're not strictly playing politics. And that's, in my opinion, on both sides of the aisle, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. We've lost that focus on public service. America was built on a community that is service before self.
0: Yeah, and actually, I do think you are uniquely poised to weigh in on the evolution of the Republican Party. You're not seeking Re-election, and so I think you have a little bit more latitude to comment candidly on the political climate. Um, can you describe, you know, what you've seen happen to the party over the course of your term as mayor? You are, after all, the longest-serving mayor in Fort Worth history.
1: And you may or may not realize, Jacqueline, but I was a, a 11-year office holder on the Republican side as county tax assessor. So I've really been doing this for. 21 years. And I'll tell you what I, my take is on what's happened, not just on the Republican side, but Democrat too. Both parties have got catered to fringe elements because the average citizen wasn't paying attention and wasn't looking closely. And they let it get pushed to the far right and the far le- uh, left. And some point, we got to work our way back in where we can make decisions on a bipartisan basis, or at least make decisions that are good for our residents. Uh, and you know really
0: quickly, on the storms that we saw, uh, has there been an ask for the, of the federal government to pay for some of the damages that you saw as a result of the winter storms last month and and the power
1: outage? Yeah, there's a disaster declaration that covers the whole state. And in that, there will be an ask for from FEMA for some recovery efforts on that. What the dollar is hasn't been determined yet, but there will be an ask on that. Some of that will be taken out of this uh, relief package that just came to help with some of that, I expect, because we haven't seen all the final rules on that either. And
0: you know, we do have time for one more viewer question, so I just wanna get to it, Erin Beasley, weighed in. She's also from Texas, and she wants to know how you've dealt with either agencies outside of your control or other levels of government whose actions and language have hampered your goals as it relates to the pandemic.
1: You know, Erica, I think that's that's a good question. I think it's hard to say. I mean, we deal with other agencies on a regular basis, and really the solution is not what their language is. The solution is how do we present the problem and how do we help them understand what it is that we're dealing with locally. It's that good, good old fashioned communications. Tell them what you want, demand it, and expect to get it in return as long as you're serving your residents and your citizens. Have you directly communicated to Governor
0: Abbott that you think he lifted restrictions in the mask mandate too soon?
1: Yeah, we sent a message to the governor that we would like to have seen. Our message to the governor was we would prefer to have seen it be a little bit later. But if we're going to open up fully, then we would like to see the vaccination process open to more people so that everyone who wants a vaccination can get it. And did you get a response back from him? We've not heard back, but we do talk to his chief of staff on a regular basis. He said it was presented to him. They were taking everything under consideration. Would you like
0: to see some of the science or the data that is guiding the decision making coming from their office?
1: You know, my, I'm not second guessing that now. My job now is to manage how Fort Worth responds to this, to partner with our friends at Tarrant County right here in the middle of a, the uh, fourth largest metropolitan region between Dallas and Fort Worth and see if we can't continue pressing forward while keeping our numbers manageable and lowering them when possible. And my
0: last question, Mayor, before we wrap up is, uh, are you headed for retirement? What's next?
1: You know, I don't know. People keep asking me that. I wasn't looking for this job. It came looking for me. I'm not one to sit still and do nothing. I'm going to go play with my grandkids. I'm a big cyclist, ride my bike a bit, and then I'll be back. I was raised in a family that believed it was always service. I'll come back and do service somewhere, whether it's on the public side or the private side. I haven't determined that yet.
0: Well, when you do figure that out, please do let us know. That's all the time that we have this afternoon but thank you so much for joining us mayor price thank you jacqueline appreciate it and everyone else thanks so much for tuning in please join us again tomorrow at 9 a.m eastern um jonathan capehart is going to have a first look at some of our other washington post reporters he's going to speak with chief political correspondent dan balls and our colleagues on the opinion side uh, george will donna edwards on all things political news of the day you can always head to the washingtonpostlive.com to register for more information about our upcoming programming. Again, I'm Jackie Alamani. Thanks so much for joining us at the Washington Post Live. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at washingtonpostlive.com.